If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, we're back in the groove here with season three. My friends and I are ready to talk about the inefficiencies that steal our fishing time. There are so many tasks that take our focus and our dedicated time away from the actual fishing while we're out there. So it's well worth thinking about how to sort of streamline things. Casting, drifting, swinging, and stripping, right? Everything else is downtime. Like Paul said, brother, there are no flying fish in Montana or anywhere else for that matter. Hey, that's two weeks in a row. We got a river runs through it reference. Flies in the water. That's where we want them. A trout on the end of the line. That's what we're aiming for. But there are seemingly endless tasks required for a fishing trip. And how we approach those chores really defines the way our day will go, simply because our fly is either in the water or it's not. How we prepare the night before, our system for carrying tippet, our strategy for choosing the next fly, and even what we do with the net after releasing a trout, uh, what we do with our time on the water matters. And all of us experience that nagging feeling that something is amiss, that so much more is possible on those days when we know that we are inefficient. Fly fishing is for the pragmatist. Successful anglers see failure and make the changes to turn it around. And no matter what our natural tendencies, whether we're a neat freak or a slob at home and at work, the river quickly teaches us that the only way forward is through efficiency. So every long-term angler that I know, and I mean every long-term angler that I know becomes efficient, even if they weren't born that way. All right, before we jump into our topic, let's say hi to the guys in front of me and answer a couple questions from listeners. I'm joined tonight by my favorite fishing friends, Trevor Smith, Bill Dell, Austin Dando, and Matt Grobe. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. 
Absolutely. Hey. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. I like how you listed us in priority of who you like the best. Well, I try to mix it up. Yeah. It doesn't seem like I'm playing favorites. I'll take second place. I'm good with that. I do have my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. It's a secret, though. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Respect it. Don't even tell your dad. Don't, don't even no. tell your dad. <laughs> tell maybe, maybe you'll share it with him. Yeah. <laughs> I might share it. <laughs> my favorite's laying on the bed behind me there, the dog bed behind me. Mm. Hey, there you go. Sure. Hey, Bill, you had a pretty solid week out there on the water, didn't you? You kind of had a little mini vacation, a little spring vacation. Yeah, it was good. Spring break. I did. I had, uh, I think I fished or guided 14 mm-hmm. the last 18 days. And Jeez. so that was nice to be out in the water. Wow. Yeah. Good time. Got to fish with, yeah. with Trevor that a little bit. It was good. Uh, listened to the podcast on the way back home from camp. Liked it. That was good. Uh, I can't say I disagree with too much of it. <laughs> oh, you have some thoughts on spot burning. I do have one thought on spot burning. So one thing that you guys didn't talk about was when you're fishing with friends, we talked about kind of, or you guys had talked about kind of the process of yeah. trusting someone. And so early on, I started to get burned by that because I would fish with people and I'd be like, oh, let me take you to this spot. And then they would go back and abuse the spot. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, one thing to kind of keep in mind, if someone's if someone's nice enough to share their spot or share the information with you, yeah. don't abuse it. Well, like Matt said, there's a, there's tiers of friends, right? <laughs> At yes. first, it's, it's hard to know what tier that new friend is going to be. Well, no new friend should jump up a tier. <laughs> they got to earn it. That's right. Yeah, and- and, you know, I, I was going to fish Laurel Run today, but you burned that bridge. So it was packed. Couldn't stop there. Oh, Laurel was Run packed. was packed. It was the day packed. of the Trout Fitting Podcast launch and Laurel Run was packed. Thanks a lot, shoulder Trout Fitting guys. Shoulder to shoulder. All right, as promised, we'll answer a few more of these questions from listeners this season. Uh, thanks for getting in touch with these. And if we don't answer your question here, I usually answer it personally. Many of you know that I can most often direct you to one of the 800 Trout Bitten articles to help answer things more in depth. But Austin, will you read this first question, bud? Yeah, so uh, Kira in Abington, Virginia asks by email, love what you guys are doing. Um, it's helped me a lot and my friends. Question for the Trout Bitten crew. I fished some new waters in New England over the winter, had a lot of trouble locating fish. It was my first winter of fly fishing, but now I see why no one else was out there. It was really hard. Trout are finally starting to bite again now that it's March, uh, but now I'm back in Virginia. Do you think better activity has everything to do with water temperature? To a little bit of an extent. Depends how, like if you're talking, I would say water temps under 38, I think the fish do become extremely lethargic. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, I think Trevor has some good science that he remembers Mm. from that. No, I just referenced that. When I was looking at the the heat side of things in reference to our discussion last summer, yeah. those same curves drop off after 38 degrees on the bottom side, and then it was like over 68 degrees or so on the upper side where trout's metabolism really does. In one side, it shuts down. On the other side, they just go into kind of preservation mode. But yeah, they, don't, they certainly don't feed a lot under a particular temperature. And 38 seems like a right around where it was mm-hmm. 36 to 38 somewhere in there new england freestone streams i would assume yeah, right if it's not a tailwater yeah. that's tough that's just tough it's cold we addressed yeah. a lot of that on the uh winter 
fly fishing podcast. You know, mm-hmm. we're uh, second to the last of season one. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. That's why we're blessed here in central PA. Um, you know, with lots of limestone fed streams, much more consistent temperatures. And that's why our fish are more willing to eat. I yeah. think. I would, I would say advice would be find kind of find some slower water experiment with flies. Sometimes in the winter, you got to use something bright and egregious to get them nice. to motivate, to move. Mm-hmm. Maybe for What's advice. it like out West there, Grove? How about you guys? Well, <clears throat> I want to go back to my Madison example. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I've spent so much time there and, uh, that's one of the oddities out here. I find that the, the fish are just incredibly active out here in the, in the winter and, and we get harsh winters. Um, mm-hmm. and I think in some of the best fishing I've had on that river is in the winter and, and, and I, there's no slow water. I mean, Dom, you've been there, you guys know, mm-hmm. a lot of you have fished it. I mean, close your eyes and it's the 50 mile riffle. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's no winter water. Right. I mean, they, mm-hmm. the, right, right. Now they seek, they seek refuge behind boulders and bank water. Um, but yeah, they'll find their slow stuff. They'll find their mm-hmm. slow stuff. Um, but they don't, they don't have any deep holes mm-hmm. to reside yeah. in. I mean, that, that river, mm-hmm. you know, three to five, three to four feet deep. I mean, it's not very deep. And so, so what's the temp uh, in the winter? About 36, 30, no 34. But here's the thing. You've, you've still had some it's really great days. A lot excellent of days. But it's, I think one of the differences is the, the water temperature is consistent. And I don't know what yeah. factor that plays in to free stoners. And you have this constant variation in temperatures throughout the day. And you guys know what the you know, East Coast mm-hmm. weather patterns are like in the winter. You could have some cold days and then you could have some mild days and that water very fluctuation, you know, it's pretty drastic. Once out here in the Madison, I mean, it's, you get, you hit December and it's the same temperature for four months. I mean, and it, yeah. and it doesn't oh. vary. And I think those fish get themselves into a very consistent feeding pattern um, because there's not much uh, variation in the water temps. So I think that could have something to play. Um, that's good stuff. Interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. Hey, let's move on. Uh, Trevor, do you want to read this next question? Yeah, this question comes from Holden on Instagram, and he says, hey, guys, here's a quick question. How do you find the good streams that aren't in the guidebooks? (laughs) (laughs) Give it to me. Give it to me. (laughs) Anything on a map labeled Matt's Creek Fishing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Shut up, Bill. Shut up. Don't give it away. Damn it. I think it, it depends what you're fishing, like brookies. I like to fish brookies, and so I look for remote streams. PA has good documentation. Other rivers don't, but usually gradient will help you or just like the terrain around mm. it, at least in PA. Yeah. So like if you're you're looking to find some wild trout, I would start like in a more mountainous region. Mm-hmm. State forests and things like you're that. Gonna, yeah, yeah, state forest. Um I always try to look if I'm going to explore and try to find some new water, I'm going to find an area that has maybe four or five streams so that if I drive there and stream one is posted, I have a backup, then I have a backup to that because good, but in the same sense, if you know, stream one sucks, then I got to, I have a backup too. And so, you know, that'd be my two cents. Yeah. I think you just have to be brave about it. You have to say, all right, I might not catch fish today, but my goal is to explore. And I did this a lot before, especially before my kids were born. 
um, and before life got more complicated. I had a Delorum Atlas. I had later on in the game, I had the Google Maps, you know, and, the you know, Google. I'd get a, right, and I'd have a full gas Google. tank. <laughs> and, and I seriously tried to fish everything within like a hundred mile radius of my home. I live in a very trout rich region. There's a lot of trout just about everywhere you look. But I also grew up in Western PA and I kind of did the same thing when I was finishing school back there. You just have to be willing to not catch numbers. That's for sure. You're out there to explore. And like we said, go to state forests because you know you're going to have access. Like Bill was saying, you need to have a backup plan. And probably the thing that discouraged me even more than the few times I wouldn't catch a fish or wouldn't find trout um, was that I, I would constantly on some days, run into posted water. Here's the next no trespassing yep. sign. That can be frustrating. The last thing I'll say, uh, yeah, in addition to those other two resources, I also, in our state, I had the uh, wild trout reproduction list from the Pennsylvania uh, Fish and Boat mm-hmm. Commission. And that's not just class A, it's class B, C, and D. They Back then, they even had B, C, and D listed, what they were. Now they just have reproduction. So there's class mm-hmm. A list and then there's B, C, and D, but that's all grouped together. Anyway, you're, I don't know what state you're coming from, Holden, but you know, um, you, you probably have a similar resource. Anybody else? I would say it's a one in 10 deal. Like maybe one, one of the 10 streams that you start to explore will, will be special. Special. Maybe yeah. it's one in 15, but it'll, you'll be like, whoa, like one in 10 is, is going to be good. And just be something different that is really enjoyable that might be off the radar. Right on. But like 9 and 10, I found, would actually hold a few fish, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you're saying like the special one that you want to come back to. Ooh, I really found a gem. Yeah, that's cool. Like 1 and 10. One practical way maybe to sum this up is there's obviously maybe some famous creeks around you or the most well-known spots that have cold water and wild trout living in them. Chances are there's a lot of tributaries that are offering that cold water to that stream. Good point. And if you're just looking for a starting place, you know, look on Google Maps and see what dumps into it and go hike up them one day. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. good point. I noticed that uh, Grobe over here doesn't want to really give any tips about how to find those special waters. That's all right, man. That's all right. Holden <laughs> can just, you know, wing it. Don't. <laughs> Let's move. No, no, no. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, seriously. Uh, let's jump into our main theme here. Let's talk about the inefficiencies that slow us down. Really, they, they don't just slow us down. They take away fishing time and our enjoyment of the whole experience. Uh, I know when I'm wasting time, I just can't stand it because we only have so much fishing time. You know, nobody gets to their end of the life and says, I've fished enough. <laughs> Not many of us anyway. <laughs> As I said in the intro, good fly fishing kind of demands that you have a system for things. And let me mention, in future podcast episodes, we'll really dig into some of these systems, like how we store and carry our gear, sort of the pack versus vest debate or whatever else, however you carry your gear. Lanyard. Lanyard, there you go. We'll get into all of that. Hip pack, okay? What else? Did I miss something? Chest pack. Chest pack, there you go. Sling sling pack. pack. Anyway, (laughs) we'll get into all that, I promise. Those are going to be fun episodes too. But for this episode, let's focus on calling out these inefficiencies. Let's highlight them. And sure, we're going to offer a couple things that we've discovered to help streamline a process. Um, But mainly, 
we'd like to just spotlight as many of these time wasters as we can. Because maybe we don't all recognize them. Because I know that a lot of these went unnoticed in my own game for decades. I mean decades. I'd, I'd fished for 20 years before I realized that, eh, there's actually a better way to put your waders on and take them off. And now I kind of have a routine for it. We'll t- maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, before I finally recognized, and I, and I did something about that. And I'm still working every day, really, on being just a little more efficient. Because then I can fish more. You know, I don't waste time. So, re- so just recognize what wastes time is the first step. And that's what we'd like to talk about tonight. Do you guys all agree that good fishing requires being efficient? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I'll agree with you on that point. Do you yeah. think that you are efficient people at heart in nature? I am. I yeah, like. you're a spreadsheet guy, Bill. That's a given, right? I think that I'm not. I don't think you could look at my life mm-hmm. and say I'm like efficient in every category of everything I do. But mm-hmm. in fishing, efficiency means more time fishing, like you said. And yeah. so the motivation is in the right place to be efficient. You've probably learned that with hunting too, right? Big time. Yeah, and I'm probably more polished from an efficiency standpoint in hunting than I am fishing. I'm sure a lot of that carries over too. Yeah, it does. A lot of it carries over, especially when it comes to gearing up and gearing down. Like that mm. that part of the process to me is so intuitive. Austin, are you uh, are you an efficient dude? I think so. <laughs> yeah. I have a tendency of doing things the hard way. Mm. But within that, uh, I try to do challenging things as efficiently as I can. Huh. Austin made me the most efficient French press coffee on the stream bank Ooh. that I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing. That's a good <laughs> amazing. way to put it, Austin. That is the hard way to make coffee on the stream. <laughs> you know what I mean? French yeah. press. It's like Jeez. hard, but he did it so efficiently. It's beautiful. I certainly don't go through life looking for the hardest ways to do things. It's just my tendencies. Yeah. You find them. You find the hard ways. <laughs> Matt, are you an efficient dude? Um, I am definitely efficient at this point in the game. I mean, I, I, I definitely think we've gone, I've gone through a lot of inefficiencies through the years. Um, that's, yeah. that's allowed me to now become an efficient beast when I want to go out on the water, but I think I still, you know, through <laughs> efficient beast, an efficient beast, but there's still beast times. Mode. What about regular life? What about like yeah, in mean, your home? Are you in, are you efficient? What's your, what's your workbench yes. look like? It's very clean. I mean, I have drawers for all my Is dubbings and really? tackles and, oh yeah. When it comes oh. to that, I'm pretty, um, pretty efficient. My wife leads a, efficient house as well so um nice. yeah I'm, de- I'm definitely in a you know efficient and i think it translates well to the to the water nice so basically i think it's me and trevor that are not necessarily in the rest of our lives real efficient i'm not i said the workbench mm-hmm. you, you guys have seen my workbench when you come before we leave in the morning it's a mess <laughs> you know it's not the most important thing in my life there are a lot of things in my life that I wish somebody would take care of for me because yeah. <laughs> they're a mess. But man, my fishing gear is ready. And uh, yeah, let's talk about that stuff. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. 
rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences, providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urinimping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered and our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. I'll say this again. This is like one of those uh, trout bitten mantras. If it isn't easy, you won't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I've said that before on this podcast. I've written it probably a dozen times on the website. If it isn't easy, you won't do it. And as fishermen, man, I think that's true for every one of us. For me and Trevor, you know, the, the slobs. <laughs> but right. then for you guys, the spreadsheet guy, even like that makes sense to Bill, right? But for all of us, if it isn't easy, you won't do it. You're going to avoid it. If you don't have mm. a system or a routine for these things, and if you feel like, ah, I'm wasting time, you're not going to do it. All right, so really, in no particular order, let's just run down some things, not spend a whole lot of time on any one of them, but you know, what are the things that steal away our fishing time? What's inefficient? I would say fly organization. Mm. I'll, p- I'll pick on Trevor. He can, yeah. he can explain how he fished this weekend because he didn't have time. It's not good. I, I didn't have, so I was a good example of inefficiency. I just threw my pack together kind of last minute, didn't have time to prepare. I hadn't unloaded it from the last trip. I had a lot of flies that weren't organized. I had Ziploc bags of flies. I had, it was like the worst case scenario. (laughs) What are you doing? And the entire time, I wasted probably half an hour digging through that pack. And it got worse as the day went on because stuff became more and more disorganized. It was brutal. I've never seen you like that. Yeah, me neither. I've never been like, that was the first time I've ever. What happened? You switched packs or something? I did. Boxes? I I had unloaded my pack because it got doused when I was out fishing in the rain. Mm -hmm. And then when I was loading it up again, like I had a bunch of flies that I wanted to fish with, but I didn't have time to put them in a, a new pack and or a new fly box. And I don't know. It was just a, uh, it was a combination of things, but I'll blame it on having three kids and just, I, I put off the organization and it re- and I really paid for it because it cut mm. directly out of my fishing time. That's a big one. I mean, yeah, that's a big, big. one. My my night fishing pack is probably mm-hmm. the most organized, streamlined, efficient thing. Yeah. I can use it with my eyes Seen closed. That. Everything's in the right place. And and I really enjoy that a lot. So the organization of the flies within my fly box. So um, you have a yeah, you have a dedicated night pack. I do. And that is part of my efficiency, I'd say, because yeah. I night fish so much that it really gets a lot of use and I don't like unloading and repacking the same pack. Yeah. And at night I have some different, and I think this is part of the thing we'll talk about with efficiencies too, in terms of our packs, everybody's got a favorite place to have different things. And I always know that my nippers are going to be like on the top right side of my pack 
And so I can just reach for them blindly, right? And I know where my forceps are. I know where, and I in my night pack, I actually even have, I have eight, 10 and 15 pound yeah. tippet slash leader stuff right. in th- threaded out through three different holes in the front of the pack. Nice. And I know which one's which, and I'll just pull which one I want. Um, so yeah, just everything is where exactly where I want it. And I, and I think that's probably what we should all be shooting for is sort of like the ability to know where everything is right in our pack or a vest without looking down. You and I talked about that, Trevor, when we were night fishing this, uh, this last summer, I said, yeah. I'm almost to the point where I'm, I'm going to do what you're doing. Uh, yep. totally dedicated night vest yeah. or pack because totally. it's really the only time where my gear changes that much. Yes. Now, I haven't done it, and honestly, I probably won't because for me, my pack, my, well, I'm a vest guy, and, but I've, sure. been, I've been using the same vest layout, sort of that traditional layout. And I don't want to try to describe it. You know what I mean? When you think of a fishing vest, yeah. and I'm using a Sims one right now, and everything's been in the same place for so many years. My split yep. shot, my nippers, my, my forceps, my streamer box, everything, my tip, everything's been in the same place for so many years. No matter what vest I have, it, it kind of just takes that place in the new vest. And I could do it in a night pack because there's so many other things that I don't need and then other things that I do need. I might do it. I might do it. But that, you know what? I'll probably try it. Like I've tried so many times yeah. to like, yeah. you know, whittle down my, the gear that I carry. Right. Uh, but at night, I could definitely get a little bit lighter in some ways. That matters, you know. But yeah, then I feel like I'm, uh, when I do that, I feel like I'm, well, I'm inefficient. Because now all of a sudden I'm going, oh, wait a second, I'm wearing a different pack. Oh, wait a second, things mm-hmm. are in a different place. And I just am most comfortable always having that same vest with the same gear in the same place. But the the inefficiency of switching, because for the longest, I, I, I still do it today where I switch between pack and vest. Yeah, is I know you do. You don't end up with things where you want them to be, you know, ambition. Oh crap! I I have my cider material in the other vest or right. other pack, and so that's probably my biggest weak point. Is I switch between it. If it's going to rain, I don't want to fish this pack. Mm-hmm. I want to fish one that's waterproof so that my stuff doesn't get soaked. Or if it's this camera, I'll carry this, and so. Yeah, just mm. switching back and forth. There's been dozens of times in the last few years that I end up on the river and I don't have nippers with me. Yeah, I feel like trying out new gear or packs and carrying systems is like one of your hobbies. Seriously, it's it like is. something I've seen you do I, I, so yeah. often. It's like something you enjoy. That's it all is. right. It's it. You have leaders. I have packs, and we're you know. Yeah, that's true. We each so have the our consequence own, uh, of that, really the, right on. The consequence of that is like forgetting necessary things. And that's what you said. Sometimes you, you're out there and you go, ah, oh, forgot my cider material. Ah, oh, I don't even have nippers. So that, you forget those things at home or back in the truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very inefficient, right? But we've all done that. Everybody listening has absolutely done that, right? Yep. I used to be really bad at that. I think I've gotten better at it over the years. The older I mean, you get. get. To this tr- yeah. yeah. More times I've had to learn the same lesson. But yeah, I'd get to the stream after a 45-minute drive, and I didn't bring my boots. And like the moment you realize right. the thing you needed really badly isn't with you, it's just like your heart drops out from under you. Yes. There may be nothing more inefficient than forgetting some item that you just can't be without. Like, you have to yeah. have your wading boots. Maybe you right, could even man. go without waders yeah. if it's warm enough. But man, you yeah, have sunglasses. So Yeah, right? <clears throat> so many things. The sunglasses. You guys know what I'm going to say, right? 
boots, box, bag, rod, vest, weight, <laughs> waiters, food, drink, camera, food. net. That's it. <laughs> and that's that's <laughs> my. I, I run through it. I actually so guiding. You guys me, lose too much stuff. Well, not anymore. But so guiding has made me even more efficient. Man, I it's my business now. I can't leave the house without this stuff. So I literally run through those things I just said, and I mm-hmm. touch them. I first of all, I always pack my the back of my Forerunner the same. I can look at it and see it. It's there, but I still touch it. Boots, box, bag, rod, vest, and so on. I touch it all. It takes. Do you have a little song? My you little sing song, the song, right? Little cadence to it. A little like rhythm. It. I like gets it. Me, gets me ready to go. Have a cup of coffee. Get on the road. But Stop, no, I haven't I, forgotten anything leave, for a long time because of that. So mm-hmm. I take pictures of stuff like when I leave camp. Do you? Because I'll be like, "Hey, Trevor, can you drive by camp and make sure I did this?" Because, and so now when I leave, <laughs> the the checklist that's done, I take a picture of it when it's that done. That's cool. Some of my uh, biggest inefficiencies on my end, I find happen when I don't spend at least 20, 25 minutes the night before really strategizing what I'm going to Mm. accomplish the next day. Um, I I find that you can cut a lot of unnecessary stuff out if you take, you know, take a minute and say, okay, tomorrow, you know, it's March. I'm going to fish a sucker spawn and something else. I'm going to rig my rod and I know I'm going to go after fish on a mono rig. And, uh, you know, I have a rod rack. I I think Bill is a rod rack. That's been Mm -hmm. one of my most useful and efficient tools that I've bought in the last three years. Um, I I'll, you know, kid goes to bed, I go in my garage, prep the rod. And then I start, you know, visualizing, okay, if I go to yeah. spot A, you know, let's say I'm going to go be able to go fishing for three hours when my kid goes down in the middle of the day, I'm going to have spot A, B, and C within, you know, you guys live in Trouty country. You got plenty of options, yeah. 20 minutes around. And if someone's parked at A, I'm not going to stop. And how many times have we all sat in that spot and that totally derail our plan? Like, oh man, you know, this is, this was my plan. Now mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Now I, I kind of, Right. think through all those things. Um, sometimes my wife looks at me at dinner and asks what I'm thinking about when I'm not listening to her. And sometimes this is what I'm thinking about. Um, <laughs> but I find that that to be a really efficient tool if you can, if you can kind of implement that into your, into your game. Yeah. I like the point you brought up, Matt, about traveling and time. One of the things I think about a lot is travel time mm. versus fishing time. There you go. Mm. And if I want to drive somewhere, yeah, it definitely matters. And I had to think about it a lot more when I lived in the South because stuff was far away. And you had to judge, well, if I leave the house at this certain time, I'll get there by then. But then I can only fish for four hours because I got to leave to get back an hour after that. Especially if you have one place you want to go or one place available to you and you get there and there's other people, that is a total inefficiency um, to, to limit your options, but also just to make sure you're maximizing river time. Yeah, so having your plan, your your A plan, your B plan, your C plan, that kind of stuff can happen on the way there, whatever can happen the night before. What you're saying there, Matt, I mean, I kind of go through the same thing because I'm on the water every day. And when I'm guiding, I especially just have to be prepared, you know, for anything and everything that could possibly happen. And it gets a little old, I'll be honest, like every Mm -hmm. night, what you said, about a half hour. It takes about a half hour for me to replace because I don't have enough Dorsey yarn indicators, more split shot, this or that fly, 
so many things can fill in the blanks. I, you know, I need more six X tip, whatever it is. And I need to run through those things. To be honest, I'm now a guy who has a note taking app on my phone. And my mom would be, would be amazed at that <laughs> because she was like, Oh, you forget everything. And I was, I was kind of flighty boy, not with fishing now. I, I write things down. It, as soon as I run, or I'm about to even run out of Forex tippet on the water, I actually get out my phone, put, oh, tonight you're going to have to fill up the Forex. It's just the way it is. That's all right. Anyway, it's part of my business. But even before it was part of my business, it just because I love fishing, I don't want to waste time. It was what I did. And like you say, man, it, it takes a half hour. You guys feel like that? I mean, 15 minutes, half hour of little, yeah. a little bit of preparation. Absolutely. Yep. That's what keeps me awake at night, honestly, the most, yeah. is I'll sit there and I'll run through the scenarios of, yeah. okay, I'm going to go fish spot A. What if somebody's there? Okay, I can go fish spot B, or maybe I need to go to a different river because it's Saturday. There's going to be too many people there. Yeah. Like I, I run through like the scenarios in my head a million times, and then especially it's even more like more of a strategy if it's like a, a time after work when you have limited time because if you're driving yeah. 30 minutes and you have two hours to fish and maybe the next stream is like 20 minutes over and so i might not fish the most optimal stream i'm gonna fish the the stream that i know will not have any people in at that time so i kind of strategize about where i park often so i try to park in places that i won't get cut off yeah Nice. Like I know, hey, I can I can park and I can fish because if I'm going to hop around in different spots, it's going to be inefficient because I'm going to have to drive maybe 15, 20 minutes between spots where if I pick a spot that, you know, this is the last parking and then it's, you know, two miles of river, it's going to take someone to really work hard to get in front of me. Parking is a strategy and that can be efficient or inefficient too. It's like you kind of claim your spot. You're like, well, hey, there's only one that can fit here. And then like you say, there's two miles up. Park in the middle of that two-car spot. Right, go ahead, <laughs> Trevor. Well, I was just curious as like a, a point for debate, what would you say about the argument between like, do you bring, do you pack your pack? And I think, Grobe, you kind of answered this before and I thought it was, it, it matches up kind of with how I fish. But Dom, I think, is on the other side of this argument but do you bring everything possible so that you're prepared for every single scenario you could potentially encounter on a stream in a given day or do you bring the things you need to fish two styles or two particular ways really well you know and and you could really make an argument probably that either is more efficient depending on how you want to argue it Good in point. my case i think i mm -hmm. i try for bringing less things and just maximizing what I use those less things for because I think of that as more efficient. But I've, I've seen Dom be very efficient with a much more heavily packed system that allows yeah. him a lot more variability. I bring everything I could possibly need almost every day of the year I fish. The thing yeah. is, though, I don't bring a lot of one thing. So it's not yeah. like I have a, a ton of dry flies or, a, or three boxes of streamers or nymphs. I've got a fair selection of each thing. So I never feel weighed down. Hmm. That's a good, good way. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm pretty similar there, Austin. I want to be prepared for every uh, variation. And that's part of what I just, I just enjoy fishing that way. 
And yeah, when I'm guiding, that's what I want to be able to do. Jump from one thing to the next. So like you say, Trevor, I'll have, I'm prepared for about everything. But at the same time, I don't feel like my vest is like ridiculously weighed no. down. No. And there are, uh, I do. <laughs> you, you're a lanyard guy now. But you won't, you won't be for long. Guy. You'll be back on a pack. Hey, guy. Yeah. Oh, I've been, on, I've guy. been lanyard for about six months now. <laughs> lanyard, all lanyard. All lanyard, all lanyard. <laughs> no, I like that stuff. I mean, I, when I, the only time I really pare things down that much is when I'm going uh, brookie fishing. And then I, it's just like shirt pockets, you know, and, and pants pockets. Because usually I'm, um, or when I can, I, I'm not even wearing waders. Yeah, that's it builds character. If you don't have the tools you need, mm-hmm. like you'll. I like that. No, that's true. That's true. You're gonna fish what you have because that's what you have. Right. Yeah. Right. And you'll fish it harder. Yeah, I think it comes down to a mindset thing too. Like where where are you at mentally? Are you are you in the mood to to catch fish and be prepared for any way to to do that? You know, if I'm on a new stream or um, you know, I have a eight hour day, which is few and far between these days. I'll definitely mm. have my, my pack that has everything, you know, in the kitchen sink in it in case I come across something that, you know, dry flies, streamers, nymphs, whatever. And then there's right. those days kind of dumb, kind of what you're saying, you know, when I'm in the mood to catch cutties in a mountain stream, yeah, I have a different vest that has room for one box. And I and I throw that in there with the with my neoprene booties and and then mm-hmm. wet weight and I don't care about anything else, right? I'm throwing yeah. dry dropper and and you know that's July to August for me a lot of the nice. times, <laughs> right? It just kind of yeah. depends on the mindset. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. This episode is supported by Freestone Coffee. You'll love sipping on it, guaranteed. Freestone Coffee is wildly delicious and dedicated to the sport of fly fishing. All Freestone Coffee is fresh roasted for your order, and 5% of proceeds go back to conserving the streams we love to fish. Freestone is just getting started, and they love your support. Head over to freestonecoffee.com and use code TROUTBITTEN for 15% off your order. That's code TROUTBITTEN for 15% off your Freestone Coffee order. Love it or your money back. So we've talked a lot about packs and vests and how we change and what we carry and all that stuff, right? What are other things that really make us inefficient out there? You got anything else? Yeah, one thing that came to mind was just how I was fishing a little bit with Bill this weekend too. I was all out of sorts, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I find myself doing this when I it's ironic because I want to take, make the most out of my fishing. Cause I, you know, haven't been out in a while or haven't been out in some time. So I cast too many times and I don't take the time mm. to set my feet and to really like square up and choose very specifically where I want to drift. And huh. so I end up throwing probably twice the cast, but with half the effectiveness. And 
I think it's like a hidden inefficiency because I'm getting a lot of casts out there. And yet like half of my drifts, I'm like standing between two rocks and I'm kind of off balance. (laughs) And, you know, my, I'm like my rod arms just all over the place because I'm not stable. And (laughs) I just get to the end of fishing like that. I'm like, man, I did such a, so inefficient in my presentations. You know, it just feels unsatisfying, you know, and it's, it's just a, I I need to break myself out of that. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys can relate to that at all. Every cast I make is excellent. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a bill quality. It's just a bill quality. Yeah. I'm with you, Trevor. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before when you can, you can kind of get to the end of the day and go, I didn't fish well. Yeah. And really what that kind of boils down to for me is I didn't, I wasn't efficient and it Mm -hmm. really is. Like you say, if if there's too many false casts, I'm just wasting time. Right. If my transitions yeah. between tactics, if I was, you know, tight lining uh, these nymphs and I say, you know what, I need an indie here. If that transition took too much time, I can feel it. Yep. I, personally, I can change leaders in about a minute, minute and a half. I mean, I can go full mono rig to full George Harvey dry fly leader with the fly on in about a minute, minute and a half. And yep. when it's taken me two minutes, three minutes, I mean, you can chuckle about this and say, what's the difference? It's a minute, you know, you're talking about 90 seconds. Who cares? But it, I care, you know, and I can feel it. And then I start to go, I'm, I'm not fishing well. And then I'm afraid, I'm not afraid, but I'm hesitant to make that next change. I don't like yeah. it. I don't like that feeling. So I get to the end of the day and I say, I didn't fish well. And it really means I, I wasn't very efficient out there. I'm surprised, really, as I look back. The older I get, the more I realize that so much of good fishing comes down to how much time you're saving or how much time you're wasting. Mm-hmm. I think the waiting staff really showed the value of it to me last weekend. Mm. Got out in the middle of a run. It was the fastest run in the river and waiting staff got stuck. I pulled it, it popped off and I was stuck with like six inches of a waiting staff and the rest of it went flying down river. <laughs> and so instead of walk, instead of walking back to the car, which was like five minutes away, hmm. I manned up and was like, Oh, I can fish another mile river. Right. I'll be good. Sure you can. And I was all over the place. Yes, just that. inefficiency. Like my back was sore. I, I started grabbing sticks along the mm-hmm. bank to use those as waiting <laughs> staffs. Didn't go so well. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up the waiting staff, and I always thought that a staff would slow me down. And Matt, you are the guy who showed me that it doesn't. It actually speeds you up, right? <laughs> I've written about this. I had the back surgery, and my first real trip back from back surgery, you and I went and fished one of your home waters back in Western PA, big water. And I was like, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> so I, I, I rigged up a broomstick and all that on a shoelace hooked to my belt. That sucks. That's not efficient right? But I eventually learned from my buddy, Paul Almquist, the best way to rig up a waiting staff. And yeah, I've written articles about it. Maybe I'll even link them here in the show notes. I'm really open-minded about so many other things about trout fishing and fly fishing. Oh, you can do it this way, do it that way. I don't think there's any other better way to do it than the way that a lot of us do it and the way Paul Almquist did it. And he showed me. Anyway, it's a gear keeper rigged real tight. There's no slop. I can seriously be i don't have the waiting staff in my hand i'm i'm waiting i'm waiting i'm going through the water oh i start to stumble i'll reach back there with my left hand boom i know exactly mm-hmm. where it is because it's right there on my left hip 
and back a little bit. I know exactly where it is. It's always there. I, re- I let it, I use it, I let it go, boom, it goes right back. It's a very light staff. When I don't need it, then I fold it up and it, for me, I store it behind my, uh, uh, my fishing net which is held by a Smith Creek uh, net holster. But anyway, you find those kind of details yourself. The point is, like Bill said, that it's the waiting staff doesn't slow you down. When you rig it properly, let's say, the best way, boy, it speeds you up, and it is efficient. You can fish so much more water because you have that staff. It actually speeds you up. I've started to, I've started to keep an extra one in my car yeah. for when I guide. Yeah, same. Because a lot of guys are like, nah i'm good right. i'm like and you know i'm like just let's just let's just put this on your belt you know if you need it and then at the end of the day man this was this was made it a lot easier to get around because they're our our rivers are fast yeah. and they are slippy yeah and so many of them across the country are yeah oh yeah i mean that goes into the you know how important is gear right to to aid in our efficiencies mm-hmm. i mean it's one of those things that even in the winter out here, if I'm not, if I don't have the right gear, whether mm-hmm. it's the right foot traction or the the right layering, oh, yeah. and you're point. cold and you can't tie a knot, yeah. you can't you can't tie a fly on, but you you look up river and your buddy's nice and cozy and he's banging fish left and right. That's all that yeah. all goes into efficiencies and inefficiencies, right? I was inefficient, my buddy was efficient, and he was reaping the rewards of catching all those hmm. fish because he had the right gear. So that that's hmm. a big part of it, in my opinion. Dude, I hadn't even really thought about, you know, staying warm. But you're right. Anything that takes you out of your yep. focus for, I'm going to make this next cast right here. If you're thinking about, yeah. man, my hands are cold. Man, my feet are cold. Oh, man, I got to take a walk because I'm so cold. Or if you're too hot or whatever. Anything that takes you out of your focus just makes you inefficient. There you go. You guys that guide when you watch fishermen or just fishermen that come fish with you, wh- what what do you think is one of the most inefficient things you see them doing? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in before the two experts get in here, but I know from my <laughs> there are standpoint, no experts in fishing. Uh, <laughs> people fish the wrong type of water at the at the depending on what time of year it is. So mm-hmm. you have you know take people out in the right now out here in Montana where you're coming off a long winter and you have people that want to jump right into the fast water and it's just not time. I mean, it's, it, it feels like it should be time. It's 60 degrees, but it's still, those fish are still lethargic at the tail outs. And, and I feel like there's a lot of wasted energy and wasted Mm. casts on the wrong type of water, depending on the time of year. That's a good one. See, see, I like this guy. I agree with him. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that's the <laughs> Western PA. It's Western PA. That's where it's at. But yeah, I I do. I think that's the biggest the biggest thing is learning to read water mm-hmm. and to understand the time of year. And to be honest, I don't. There's no there's no easy button for that. You've got to right. fish and you've got to understand it. And you got to spend time on the river at all times of the year to to be able to 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 say, okay, you know, it's it's winter. I'm not going to fish the class one rapid. Yeah. Another thing I see a lot is the tendency to cast too far, you know, sure. regardless of of time of year or whatever. But you know, we always want to cast to the next riffle over instead of the one right in front of us, and our drift often suffers from that. And trying to reel that mm. back like constantly throughout the day can sometimes be struggle. Yeah, I would echo both of those points. That idea of fishing, let's say the wrong water, 
for the type of the year. That certainly wastes time, right? I mean, if you're casting where the fish aren't, or let's say where they're not feeding, boy, you're you're wasting time. You're inefficient. Yeah. But how do we know? You know that, that that's that's the question I get. Well, okay, you're telling me, Dom, that I'm fishing the wrong water. Well, how do I know what water to fish? I've been using the kind of a concept that I call a changeout spot. You know, we don't always know. We can make great guesses, really, because we have some seasons on the water about where trout are going to be feeding, but we don't know for sure. And so we get out there, and the first thing I'm looking for is where trout are feeding most. Again, I, I think I know about where they're going to feed tomorrow, but I'm not sure. And it can obviously change throughout the day, and as the conditions change, a light changes, whatever. And so... As I'm fishing the water, I'm looking for where most of those fish are feeding. And I say most because we acknowledge that, thankfully, trout do things in groups. You know, you'll find feeding fish, many fish, doing the same thing. And you're One basing thing. that on where you catch them. Exactly. And not yeah. just not just uh, what depth, but what water mm-hmm. type. Was it fast or slow, like we were talking about? So I start to determine, even if I don't, I don't care if I put it in the net, if I get response from a fish, a fish wanted to eat. If I missed them or he decided that last second he didn't want to eat my streamer or whatever, when I get response, here we go. That's going to start to be data that says like, ah, maybe that's my prime spot. Eventually, I start to pick out a, what I call prime water, what I'm thinking of as prime water. And anyway, when I get to that, that next piece of prime water, if it doesn't produce, if I get no hit, mm-hmm. then then I'll change out. And there we go with my change out spot sort of concept. I'll say, all right, I fished that well for the rig I have on. I got the drift that I wanted to get. I got the look on the fly that I wanted to get. And yet in this prime water, I got no response. So what can I change? And often it is the rig or the presentation more than even the fly. But anyway, I'll change something and I'll stay right there. Don't move my feet go right back into the same water with my new rig, possibly my new fly, and sort of A-B test it. And that, to me, is a very efficient thing that I try to do. And I, I learn a lot from it, too. I'll say they wouldn't eat presentation A, but boy, they're, wow, great, they're eating presentation B. That's one of the most exciting things to me that I get to experience on the water. Hmm. Good stuff. I do that a lot to start the day. Yeah. Like what you're saying, like the A-B test. Yeah. If I sit there in a run and I change flies and I don't catch a fish, then that means I'm I'm not going to sit there and do that for the next three runs. I'm just going to look for the dumb fish that wants to eat. Yeah. And I'm going to keep moving. Yeah. Well, you move a lot. We've acknowledged this. And, mm. you know, there are two strategies. We call it cherry picking or full coverage in, in, in a podcast in season one. That can be very efficient. You know, just, all right, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to cover a lot of water and yet just standing there in one spot and saying, damn, I know there's fish under here. I'm going to figure these fish out. That's another way to approach it. Either way can really be efficient kind of as long as you have a plan. Yeah. You think we can catch fish, like have a day or a good day of catching fish while being inefficient? Yeah. You know, does being efficient mean catching fish or what does, how do we know we're being efficient? What's that mean? Good question. Good question. I think you have to take the sum of, you know, 20 days out on the water to understand if we all can Mm -hmm. catch fish when, you know, they're eating a pheasant tail at the head of a riffle, right? I mean, anyone can huck huck it out there and and stumble across some fish. I think it's consistency. When you get out there and you're you're catching fish on a consistent basis, I think at that point, you know, 
your efficient games coming, you know, to into play, and you're really starting to dial things in. At least for me, that's kind of what I gauge my success on. That's a good answer. Nice. I like that. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. I think sometimes when you catch a lot of fish, like if you have a good day, sometimes it'll highlight your inefficiencies. So, like, let's say you're catching a lot of fish, yeah, and then you catch a tree, and you got, and then you got to tie a knot. If you're not good at tying knots, you stand there for 15 minutes tying a knot. And then you're like, you're more anxious mm. because mm-hmm. you've just caught four fish out of the last run. Yeah. You feel rushed. And then you're like, okay, I got to. And if you can't tie that knot, you know, then it, it compounds the issue. Nice. Yeah. Right on. Here's another uh, inefficiency that I've experienced just the last few years when I first moved out here um, was uh, flies that I tied that may have been you know, tied for Eastern waters um, that didn't fish well out here. And I didn't realize it until I went out to fish the Mother's Day caddis hatch on the lower Madison a couple years ago. And there's no, the, the, the lighting because of the lack of trees is like the most, the, the oddest thing out here. Like you have no trees, and if you're looking at one side of the river where the sun's setting in this riffly water, it's so hard to pick out your fly. And so I, I was spending evenings fishing, you know, into that light, not mm, being able to glare. see my fly. And right. I mean, I basically, I, I shouldn't even have had a fly on my line, but yet I was forcing myself to fish. <laughs> and so yeah. I'd come back and I'm like, whatever the next next year i didn't change my pattern and i get out there man how inefficient is that you're at the bench tying the same pattern that that used to work that now doesn't work and so i found myself being really inefficient until i finally would put some you know pink widow's web on the top of these elk hair caddis Hmm. and (laughs) and it was like a game changer all of a sudden i was being efficient with my fly because i could actually see the fish eat and it's it's one thing out here it's really really hard at times to see your fly i mean that's a lot of bushy flies is good here your your stimulators you know uh, a lot of uh, visual aids with with pink and white widow's web um and there's a reason for that i mean if you 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 know if you're guiding someone in a drift boat yeah that's part of the game how do you locate your fly when you're just hucking it out into this big river um that's all part of being efficient what you're saying is about being very intentional you know you're thinking about maybe you are staying up at night like bill said these are the things where you're thinking about i think one of the real joys of fly fishing for me and i think for you guys too is that it does consume a lot of my life that's a good thing you know Mm. and so i am thinking about i got this problem how can i solve this you know and i'm gonna go through the other parts of my day but there's something for my brain to chew on the next issue that I need, next problem I need to solve. And for you, it's that pink widow's web, maybe. You know, you got that glare. Anyway, you're doing things intentionally, and that will make you efficient. Um, you're discovering those inefficiencies and saying, I'm going to do this differently. I've been through the same thing with some of the rivers around here and certain patterns. And once you get that glare, you need something to break the glare, whether right. it's a, so like I've started tying most of my caddis or most of my dry flies with like bleached elk hair. Mm-hmm, me too. Instead of tying it with standard because it, it, it pops. You can see it later in the night. If you want to fish 
a sulfur hatch, you know, till later in the day, it, it catches a little bit more light mm -hmm. than maybe your standard CDC or something like it may look prettier, but in the end, if you can't see it, it's not worth a darn. Right on. Talking about being intentional. The other thing for me is the routines. You know what I'm talking about. You have, I have a way when I get back to the car, here's one. I will never, I never anymore put my rod on top of the vehicle. I will not do it. You will never see me do it. I used to do it. And then I drove off with the rod on top of my vehicle uh, three times. I'm going to say three times. I, lo I almost lost my rod that way. Luckily, I found it every time. But I won't do it anymore. And so my routine when I get back at the end of the day, or even as I'm setting up, uh, my forerunner still, you know, it's like a manual lid for my, you know, uh, gas. gas. Thank you. And so I, I, I just pull it out. I lean my rod right there. You can do it a hundred different ways. You could put it on against your, uh, one of your mirrors or some guys have like a little magnet, you know, that's a neat thing. It holds mm -hmm. your rod on the side of the vehicle, whatever your routine is, find it, do it. You know, I have a routine for the way I put my waders on and take them off now. And again, this is kind of funny for me because the rest of my life is not like that, but I save a lot of time, make a lot more casts because of these little things that I that I like to do and have those routines. So, so Dom, what's the uh, reasoning mm. that you don't have a rod rack? Oh, I don't like the... Not cool enough. Right. It, well, I haven't gotten my cool card. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious because it seems like that would be right up your alley on top of that uh, forerunner. Yeah. I really like having a rods inside. And I don't okay. need four rods. Like you, you guys both got your double bangers up there, right? You got two double bangers. You have two. I just have a single, a oh, single a that bang. holds four. <laughs> well, Bill has two double bangers. So okay. he's got four rods uh, on top. Now, to be honest, I don't have a need for it. And uh, I did the video not too long ago about how I, uh, I break the rod, I split the rod into, you know, and that is what I, I don't want to walk to the stream with, with a 10 foot rod strung up. I don't want to do that. So gotcha. if I, even if I even if I had a rod vault, I'd take it out of the vault, and it, I'd I'd want to break it down in two anyway. Um, you can get ones that you can break it down. There you go. That, that they hold. That's they the hold kind I would down. do. That's the kind I would drop do. it in no. Christmas present. I know what I'm getting done. <laughs> I don't want one. No, really. <laughs> Having them, you guys have seen. I use that Smith Creek. Uh, I think it's called a rod rack. Smith Creek rod rack mm -hmm. up top. You've seen it in the videos, and that's. I, I don't know. It's worked for me for so many years too, and that's my routine. It's not better than anybody else's, but it works for me. Anything else, guys? Yeah, we had a question on this last week about knot tying and how to get faster, and, mm. and that's a big thing I see it with is. less experienced anglers is just just unwillingness to tie knots, for, you know, and practice knots enough that you get good at it. Um, and it should be knot tying should be just kind of a a no brainer afterthought. You know, it should be yeah. quick and easy, and there's no reason that should hold you back. And and I see it hold back folks from changing flies from you know, retying a leader Leaders. and they have to kind of pull an entire new leader out of their pack. And so there's a lot of inefficiencies that stem from poor knot tying. So spend yeah. the time on, on learning your knots. I mean, this sounds mean. There's like no excuse for not being yeah, no able excuse. to tie knots. No excuse. It does. And it, it, you yeah. could, you know, you can make all the excuses to yourself that you want, or you can just sort of man up and say, I'm going to learn to tie these knots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to take responsibility for that. I understand that, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, but I'd say 99% of the people can say, Hmm, I'm going to tie knots faster. 
Yeah. Anyway. Put it in your mouth. There you go. Anything else? Uh, Matt, what do you have? So this is more of a message. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't be late to your buddy's house if you have a fishing mm. trip planned the right. next day. Because there's nothing that makes life more inefficient for me than if mm. you show up late. And on mm-hmm. top of that, you know, pack a lunch. Like we don't need to stop at sheets on the right. way there. <laughs> Let's not and go get grab a, pizza. a coffee. Right. And you have to use the bathroom. Like <laughs> be a, yeah. be a, an adult. <laughs> and prep this stuff because when you're coming fishing with me, I don't want to stop. We're we're going fishing. We're going to yeah. be efficient. So yeah. just think twice about that next time you uh, are, are meeting up with your buddy and and you throw their game off. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, but that's another that's one good. where there's kind of no excuse. It's a good one, especially I mean if your buddy's like routinely late. I get it. You know, some of us has, have kids here. And I get it. Like the kids will slow you down. You can use that excuse once. But if you're doing that two or three times in a row, nah, it's on you now. You're down on the tiered friend list immediately. Right. And you probably <laughs> won't get invited anyway. Next plateau, you're down. You've, you've been bumped down. You're reduced to no Matt's Creek info. Exactly. I choose to be annoyingly early. That's my thing. <laughs> I don't know about Either. annoyingly, but I have noticed that you're early. I like that. It gets me on the yeah. ball. I'm like, oh, that's right. Trevor. There you go. Yep. He's going to be there. <laughs> He's also the guy that shows up with his waiters. Waiters on. on. Waiters oh, yeah. On. Waiters on. Talk about Josh did that the other day. He's yeah, like, whoa. There you go. He's hey. ready. Then it makes yep. me feel slow because I'm putting my waiters on after we get there. That's right. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm hustling. I'm dying. It only takes you 15 laces. minutes. Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. Another great conversation. Appreciate you being here. Hey, the way you move on the water, the way you carry gear, and how you adapt has a big impact on your experience out there. So we all enjoy the scenery and the solitude. We love the sights and the sounds of a river. But when that novelty dulls a bit, the process of solving problems and seeing the results of our solutions is what keeps us in the game for a lifetime. The bare bones of reality stare you down pretty quickly on a river. You notice the parts you've neglected and the things you didn't think through enough. Any piece of a system that doesn't work stands in the way of progress, of both learning and catching. Fooling trout on a fly rod requires a host of elements to be in just the right place. And over time, we develop an intimate understanding of such things. So we either take deliberate control over our system or we curse the resulting roadblocks of inattention. Efficiency is a style. There's artistry in the way a good angler puts the pieces together. A finely tuned system from an experienced fisherman is something to behold. They flow from tippet spools to nippers, from fly box to floating. Things glide in and out of pockets. Tools extend from retractors and return to position without thought, without chaos. There's a skillful rhythm here, a purpose and a cadence in the way we even move through the water. And while pieces of a system that work for one person may not be a good match for the next, there are some mistakes that just don't work for anybody. So find your system and be efficient. Austin, will you read us out? Yeah, man. So remember, choppitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. 
Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. Don't be late. Hey now.